0: Father, we thank you for this day and and for your word. Lord, I thank you for the worship that has been happening this morning in spirit and in truth. God, the truth of the Bible has been in the forefront. Uh, From the call to worship, through the songs that we sing, through the testimony of Ellie and the prayers that we pray, the word of God is central. And God, the Holy Spirit is carrying us along over the words of Scripture, opening our eyes to see the beauty of who you are. And also, Lord, uh, calling to our minds a a thousand different things. Um, Things were running through my mind today during worship that the Holy Spirit was just bringing to my mind so that I might give you thanks for your faithfulness. God, you are highly exalted and worthy of praise. You are excellent in all of your ways and all of your qualities and all of your attributes and all of your great acts. God, you are most worthy of praise. God, we devote this time to uh, continuing to worship you and, and studying your word. God, we need to hear from you today. We have gathered together today in need of a word from heaven. God, would you speak? Would you speak through your word, through me as, as your servant and and through the Holy Spirit? Speak, Lord. We are we are listening in Jesus name. Amen. So today, as we dig into first Peter, chapter two, verses nine and 10, I'm going to address a major problem that we have in our world in our country and even in our churches a major problem and the problem is that people everywhere are suffering to the point of death from an identity crisis that's the big problem people in the world don't know who they are they lack an identity. And therefore, they lack an overarching, overarching purpose for their lives that gives them meaning and motivation. That's going to be a major principle that we talk about today, that identity gives you meaning and motivation. And so many people are lacking identity. I want to give you some examples of the way that the world in particular is suffering from an identity crisis. Think about science textbooks that teach that human beings are descendants of monkeys. For all of their, their research and their worldly wisdom, the best identity that the author's Of these books can come up with is that we are nothing more than glorified animals. Uh, That's an identity crisis. Children and young adults are in a state of crisis trying to decide for themselves what gender they should adopt because they don't understand how God has designed their sexuality. And the stories that I hear in the podcast and in the news about young children being taught that they need to choose whether they're going to be a boy or a girl or even a human being or an animal. It's an identity crisis. What about people in their mid-30s and 40s? What are they going through? Oftentimes, people in their mid-30s and 40s are going through what we call a midlife crisis, right? (laughs) They leave their families in search of a new career that will meet their need for meaning and motivation. They feel like they're stuck on the hamster wheel of life. It's just like, my life is going nowhere. I've got to get out of here. There's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. So they have this crisis. And they think that the only way out is down a road of brokenness. But they think they're doing the right thing by divorcing their wives, having an affair, going in search of a new career. And they write books about all their adventures. That's an identity crisis. Mothers don't understand that the child in their womb is their child. Therefore, as the child's mother, they are meant to give birth and raise and nurture children that child. Identity crisis. It's not hard to see that there is a worldwide identity crisis happening. As a result, the tragic results are that suicide rates are skyrocketing. Talk to the average teenager and ask them about uh, suicide and if they have lost friends to something like that. And it's, I mean, most of them have. The grip of darkness and despair is tightening every day. And you may be here today and thinking, well, I, I'm doing really well, and, and I, I know who I am, and I don't feel like I'm in any kind of crisis. And that might be true today for you. But if your life is not based on a God-given identity, your confidence will not last. It's only a matter of time before you will break down like the rest of the world and have this identity crisis. You're not building your life on the truth of God. Therefore, your foundation will fail you. And you will find yourself in pitch black darkness, wondering who you are. Where you came from and how did you get here? And where is your life even heading? If your life is not built on a biblical foundation of your identity. And I mentioned that this problem plagues the church as well and surely it does. We are a forgetful people and we live in the midst of a culture that promotes a lifestyle and a mindset that will lead us back into the throes of identity confusion or the loss of our identity altogether. I have seen people, as a Christian, I have seen people that I looked up to, admired and respected and, and, and wanted to be like them when I grow up, so to speak. And those same people have completely forsaken their identity and fallen away from the faith that they once so strongly uh, proclaimed. How did that happen? How did people who once had such a seemingly sincere love for Jesus, now they're in the, 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 the ditches, so to speak. They've completely shipwrecked their faith. That's an identity crisis within the church. You're not safe from this on your own. But praise God, there's a way that we can over overcome the identity crisis that the world has and the identity crisis that often happens even within the church. So what is the way? <laughs> the way is through the word. The way is that we become biblically informed about our identity in Christ. I love the way that Ellie worded that in her testimony. She said, "Once my identity was in Christ, my friends turned away from me." See, she understood that that her identity was now wrapped up in who Christ is. And how do we learn about our identity? And how do we how do we come into Knowledge and awareness of that identity and begin to grow and mature in that identity. It's through the word. And it's through the Holy Spirit working the word deep down into our hearts and affecting change and transformation at the level of our spiritual DNA. Our identity comes from Jesus. It comes from God. It comes from his word. And if it doesn't come from there, it's not going to last. And it will fail. But as long as we keep coming back to the word. And as long as we keep being washed by the water of the word. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, Jesus said. And as long as that continually happens in our lives. As born again Christians who are protected. By God. We will see this journey through the end. And maintain the identity that God has given us. Our text today in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 is all about our identity. Brothers and sisters, we must learn and cling to our biblical identity. Because identity gives us meaning and motivation that leads to God-glorifying action. Your biblical Christian identity as a child of God will give you meaning and purpose and motivation in your life and it will lead to acts of righteousness that the world will see and they will glorify God on the day of his visitation. It starts with your identity. And Peter knows that. And he knows that the church is suffering. They're going, they've are going. they fallen on hard times. The church is being persecuted. And Peter, it's, it's as if he calls a timeout and says, guys, come here. We need to have a pep talk. I need to remind you about who you are. Let me tell you what God has done in your life and remind you about this. And overwhelm you once again with his grace and mercy so that you might live out your identity. So the sermon today is broken up into two parts. Very simple. Part one is devoted to defining our identity. Two parts of the sermon. Part one is devoted to defining our identity. And part two is devoted to helping us see what is the expectation based on our identity. So if God has given us a certain identity, what does he expect us to do based on that identity? That's part two of the sermon. Part one, define our identity. Part two, help us see what is the expectation based on our identity. So let's look at part one. And you can be listening for that as we go along here so you can know, okay, we're talking about Uh, our identity at this point? Are we talking about the expectation? That will help you to know where we are in the passage and in in the message. So part one, what is our identity? What picture is Peter painting of our identity? So in contrast with the wicked and disobedient, we are five things, according to Peter. He's going to contrast... The believer with the wicked. And he's going to define our identity in five ways. So notice what Peter's doing in the text. Would you back up with me to verse eight? He's talking about people who have rejected the cornerstone. They've rejected the gospel, rejected Jesus. And he said to those people, Christ is. Is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter talks about the wicked and where they're headed, and that God is going to give them over to what they want. They love their sin, and God says, Have it your way, and your destination will be destruction. That's where the wicked are going. I have to say that that's where you're going today if you are not informed about your biblical identity. And unless you understand who Jesus is, and we'll we'll talk more about that. So stay with me. But the wicked are headed for destruction. And I love the way that Peter turns it around now in verse nine. But you. (laughs) But you, not you. You're not headed for destruction. God has a different plan for your life. <laughs> all of us, all of us were on that road to destruction, right? All of us know what it's like to be steeped in sin, slaves of sin, bent in the direction of sin, so proud that we could not repent. We were dependent on, the God, uh, on God's mercy to break into our lives, to track us down, to Rescue us. So we were on that that road of destruction. But now in verse 9, Peter says, but instead you are a chosen race. And he's gonna go on from there. Now in order to understand where Peter's coming from, okay, let's let's take a quick look at Exodus 19. So you can hold your places there in First Peter. But you need to see where Peter's coming from. So Peter's a faithful Jew, grew up reading the Torah, the the writings of Moses, memorizing, uh, probably memorizing all five books word for word. That's what the Jewish children would do. And so Peter would have been well acquainted with this this passage in Exodus. In Exodus chapter nineteen, god is is speaking to Moses, and he's, and God says, "This is how I want you to to talk to the people of Israel." He says, in verse six, "You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak." Okay, I I should have backed up, shouldn't I have? (laughs) All right, let's look back at verse 5 too. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. So keep that in mind, what he's saying here. Obey my commandments, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. So out of all the peoples, you, I am choosing you, You are my treasure possession, God says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel, namely to the people of God. So this is this is what is on Peter's heart. And this is the way that God intended for Moses to address the people of Israel and to build them up and to speak into their identity. And now Peter is taking these same words from the Old Testament and he's bringing them into the New Testament context to a predominantly Gentile church. And he's speaking the same things to them in the same way that Israel was the chosen people of God. Now you, the church, are the chosen people of God. So I wanted you to see that back in Exodus, and I'm going to refer to that as we go today. Okay, so remember those words that God spoke they're very familiar, although they're not word for word the same. We'll talk about why as well. So back into 1 Peter, come with me. So here we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. God says, but you are a chosen race. This is one of the five ways that Peter is speaking into their identity. You're a chosen race. What does it mean? He's saying you are the chosen race people of God you're special to me again we said this is pr- predominantly to a Jew or a Gentile audience why did I say that well if you look back in first Peter chapter 1 verse 1 it says Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus Galatia Cappadocia Asia and Bithynia notice that Israel is not on that list This was Gentile territory. It would have been predominantly Gentile. So the churches that were planted there, we can safely assume that they were predominantly Gentile. But Peter is speaking to this church as if they were Old Testament uh, Israelites. He goes on, he reinforces this idea, right? In verse 10, look at verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's the point. You are the people of God. Israel was called the, the chosen people. And now Peter is saying, you Gentiles, you who believe in Christ, you are no different than Israel was in the Old Testament. You are the people of God. When God looks down into this world, he sees two different kinds of people. He doesn't see Americans and Somalis and Chinese, etc., He sees people that know Him and people that do not know Him. Does it make sense? He sees people that are His people or people who are not His people. That is the way that God sees this world. And He says to you, He says, You are my chosen people. I have pulled you out of this world. I have a purpose for your life. It's amazing. That God sees you as his own. When he looks down in this world and he sees the sheep and the goats, the light and the dark, he sees you as light in his sheep. Amazing. Thank you, Lord. Secondly, God sees you as what? A royal priesthood. Follow along in your Bibles. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Now, Peter, you got to understand, he's a preacher, right? Look at the day of Pentecost. He preaches the word, proclaims the word. His tongue is on fire, so to speak. His words are on fire by the Holy Spirit. Preaches to the crowd. 3,000 souls come in. Peter's a preacher. He is hammering the point here. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. He's just boom, boom, boom. Identity, identity, identity. You're a royal priesthood. What is a priest? What is a priest? Why does he call the church a priesthood? A priesthood. Well, it's a group, a collection of priests. And a priest is a living representation of God. So God is great and God is good. But God is also high and holy, He inhabits eternity. So, how does God reveal Himself in this world? Through His Word, by His Spirit, in living representations of Himself. In people that he has claimed. Through his chosen people. If you are the chosen person of God. He has a purpose for your life. He he has brought you into a priesthood. God reveals himself through human mediators or priests. A priest is to represent God. Because he knows God. And he draws near to God and he knows the word of God and he follows the word of God and he's been changed by the spirit of God and so he can help other people follow in his footsteps. That's your job as a priest. You know the word and you know God. You just appreciate it when you're around people who know God. You're like, man, that that guy, you you could just tell. That guy walks with God. That guy knows God. That lady, man, there is just a presence about her. Light is beaming out of her countenance. Whew. Why are we called a royal priesthood? I love this. This is good. (laughs) Thank you, Peter. Uh, notice earlier that he called you a holy priesthood, right? In verse five, he says, you're being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now he says, you're a royal priesthood. Why the, di- why the difference in the adjectives? Um, Old Testament, back in the book of Exodus, it said, you're a kingdom of priests. Same kind of idea there. Kingdom of priests, royal priesthood. Hear that king, hear that royal We are royal priesthood because we are in the royal service of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the king of kings. So his priests are royal priests. Think about it. The royal guard of England, right? What is the the job, the responsibility of the royal guard? It is to guard the king, to serve the king. So what would a royal priest be? Someone who serves the king, a priest of the king. You ever thought about that, that you are a priest of the king of kings? Is there a a better job than that on the planet? We had a we had a funny conversation the other night at uh, at our prayer meeting. Uh, Shay Shay asked a great question. He he turns to Ashanti and he goes, "Hey hey Ashanti, what's your dream job?" That's a, that's a great question. Everybody needs to think about that and ask about it. You know, Ashanti, what do you want to do when you grow up? And it was it was just great to hear Ashanti's answer. And if you want to know his answer, you need to ask him. Because I'm not going to steal his thunder. I'll let him tell you his dream job. Probably not what you expect. (laughs) Kind of surprised me. Am I piquing your interest? You need to chase him down and ask him what his dream job is. But I'm sorry. No matter what job you want in this world, it does not compare with being a royal priest. Not a Levitical priest. Not a priest of a, of a dead religious system. A royal priest. A priest of the king of kings. Are you serious? No, no, Peter, come on. I don't even believe this. Do you believe that? Well, I'm just a kid. No, if you believe in Jesus, you are a royal priest. Six-year-old. Well, I'm a female. I can't be... No, 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 no. You are a priest. <laughs> Every believer is called into the priesthood. You are a a mediator, a physical representation. You are an incarnational witness. You are Jesus with skin on to the world around you. That is why God has redeemed you and called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? I wish I was in a church where people said amen. Amen. Woo! All right. Come on, a royal priesthood? Are you... No, no, no. Okay. A kingdom of priests. Oh. To be a royal priest is to be a priest of Christ. A priest who serves Christ and ministers to others in his name. Man, there's, just, there's just no better job than that. You couldn't ask for more. He didn't only save you. You're not only born again. You're a priest. Called into the priesthood of believers. That's just, how do you believe something like that? That's just too much. Why would God call a sinner like Samuel Nelson to be in the priesthood? That's unfathomable. I'm sure Peter was just blown away by this. Peter was a a fisherman. And Jesus came walking along the shore and said, I want you to follow me. And I'll teach you how to be a fisherman. I'll teach you how to be a priest in the kingdom of God. And Peter probably started off thinking, hey, Jesus, you picked the right guy. I, got, I can follow you. I can serve you. What did he find out on the night of the, the crucifixion or the eve, the night before? He found out that he was a sinner. He was a coward. He was full of himself. In no way did he deserve to be a royal priest. So the guy writing this letter to you is a failure. But he's been redeemed. This guy... If anybody was just blown away by the grace of God, then not only would he be saved, but called into the priesthood. Really, God? Really? Peter next says, you are a holy nation. A nation is a group of people under one authority. This is the same thing that it said back in Exodus, right? You're you're a holy nation. Now, the American people are, call themselves one nation under God. It's not really true, is it? In many ways, in most ways, in ever increasing ways, that's not true. But the church is one nation, one people group under God. You are a holy nation. You're not of this world. You are citizens of heaven. Why does this matter? Why is this important? God says, you're not just a nation. Not just a worldly nation, an earthly nation, a political nation. You're a holy nation. I've set you apart. You are my people. You are my special people. Don't forget that. Don't forget it. We identify with the people of God first and foremost. The church is our family. We are a nation of people. When I think about Samuel, who are your people? I told you when I started this sermon, right? When I was in Colorado, Utah, out west, I kept thinking about Central Baptist Church. These are my people. I'm part of this holy nation. I'm part of this new family. Peter says, You're a holy nation. You are the possession of God. Look at further down in the verses here. Peter says, You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You are the possession of God. I am possessed by God make you a little nervous right when you hear somebody say they're possessed <laughs> but I am possessed by God that's exactly what God said back to the Jews in Exodus 19 he said you are my treasured possession above all the people on the earth and you're special to God you're treasured you, Central Baptists, are the people that God cherishes. You're his special possession. Do you have anybody in your life that's especially dear to you? Anyone that you cherish? Do you have anybody in your life that, that your relationship is like David and Jonathan? Do you remember what it said about David and Jonathan in the Old Testament? It said that they're, they, they loved each other so much that it was like their souls were knit together. Such kindred spirits, right? Those two guys. Do you have anybody like that? You have a short list of people like that, right? You say, man, I cherish those people. That relationship, it it, it means everything to me, right? That's how God sees you. That's how he sees you. My own Special people. My treasured, cherished possession. Now, I don't know if you believe that. I don't know if you believe that. Peter says further down there, he says, once you were not a people, but now you are, whose people? God's people. I don't know. I'm proud to be on God's side, I had to choose sides. Have you come to that point? Have you chosen sides? Have you decided who you're going to marry, who you're going to live with, how you're going to, who you're going to work with and walk with for the rest of your days? I had to make that choice. There was a fork in the road, big fork. Which way am I going? Am I going this way with the world, or am I going to claim God despite what the world thinks and says? I'm proud to be on God's team. I'm a position of God. Fifth of all, in as far as our identity is concerned, Peter says, you are mercy receivers. You are mercy receivers. He says here, once you had not received mercy, but now you have. But now you have received mercy. Can you believe it? You are forgiven and free. You can work, I'm sorry, walk out of the courtroom of God's justice. Get this God has punished your sin. Somebody died for your sin. It was worthy of death. And your sin has been punished, but you are not the one that had to be punished. That is the gospel. That Jesus took your place. Jesus was our substitute. He was our Passover lamb. A perfect sacrifice who bore the wrath of God in our place. Once you had not received that mercy, once you were outside of Christ. Do you remember what that was like? Do you remember what it was like to be outside the church looking through the windows and going, I wish I could get in there. I wish I could be a part of that family. And even going to a church service, but you knew that you weren't a part of that family. I can remember going to church. I wouldn't take the Lord's Supper. I was under conviction of my sin. I was like, the Bible says if you take that in, in like some kind of like presumptuous way, God will judge you for that. And I knew full well, I'm not a part of this thing. But now I have received mercy, guys. And you have to, or you can too. And you can take the Lord's Supper. And you can eat that meal of celebration with us as a church. Because we are your new family if you believe in Christ. Oh, my goodness. We're mercy receivers. I don't care how bad you've got it, what's going on in your life, how much pain and suffering you're in, how much it feels like God has hung you out to dry and the lights are out. You can't hear that string of affirmations about your identity and not just be reminded, oh my goodness, so what? So what? No matter what I have to go through in this life, so what? Because look at who I am. Look at what God has done for me. He has saved me, redeemed me, resurrected me, And he's given me a priesthood. And I can testify about him and I will until the day that I die. You can't hear those things and not just be uh, roused or riled to action. To be stirred up in your soul. What is Peter saying? You are the people of God There is no higher honor in this world than to be called a child of God, to be the people of God, to be the church of God. No higher honor. Peter's saying that's you and you are the ministers of God, the people of God and the ministers of God. He's hammering home, driving it home. He's spelling out the honor and the identity that God has given to the church. Doesn't that make sense that if you are God's child, that he would bestow honor upon you that he would bless you that he would give you a a new and a wonderful and inspiring identity yes it makes sense because god is good and he could do that look at what peter says back in verse 7 the honor is for those who believe but for those who do not believe well they've rejected the cornerstone but the honor is for those who believe what honor what honor? This honor. A chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. That honor is for those who believe. That is an honor. Your identity is full of honor, it is not full of shame. Come on. Who wants to take over here and just keep preaching for me? Come on. I know you got to be excited about it. Your identity is not shame anymore. It's not, oh, what I did and how I fell and who I slept with and what I... All the closet secrets that you had. It's not that anymore. It's honor. It's not shame. The shame is for those who do not believe. They can keep their sin. They can keep their shame. I'm going to give up my sin and I'll take the honor What an honor, what an honor to be a royal priest to the holy nation, God's precious possession. I just, it's hard for me to believe that as I stand up here, but I, I'm just filled with joy. I, I'm like, wow, God, you did it. It's all you, it's not me. I didn't do it, I didn't give myself this honor. I never would have dreamed of having something like you've given me. Have you ever received an honor or an award for something? I'll tell you about two honors in my life that that really stand out as I think about honor. I don't deserve either of these things. um, So I'm not up here bragging about myself. But I'll tell you, the year that I graduated from seminary, I got a phone call that I was going to receive an honor, an award. I got an award for being, uh, what do they call it? (laughs) The, The Pastoral Leadership Award. I got that my senior year at, at Midwestern. And so during a chapel service, they called me up. And, you know, I'll never forget. It's one thing to receive an award, right? It's another thing. I, I went up to the stage. I was not expecting this. But the guy who gave me the award, he goes, you know, Samuel, your professors chose you to receive this award. Because, and he looked right into my eyes. And he said, because they see something in you. And they think that there is something special about you. And they wanted you to have this award. Thank you, Jesus. It's not me, they see, right? I promise you, it's not me. They would not be giving me that award if they saw me, they see Jesus, praise God. I got another award. 2013, July 1st when i was voted in to become the pastor of this church i wept because it was such an honor peter saying to you that you have been given the greatest job on the face of the planet God has given you honor. He has given you high standing status in his kingdom. He's called you into ministry. You are called into his service. You are called. Don't sit there and go, am I called? Yes, you are called. You are called into the priesthood. Not only given salvation, you are given the greatest job in the world. Don't ever let anybody take that from you. I'm just a school teacher. I'm just a garbage truck man. You are a... Priest. Yeah, God's got you undercover as a garbage man. But you know what you are. <clears throat> <laughs> You're a priest. What do they call female priests? Priestess? I don't know. You're a priestess. A precious priestess. All right. This calling is rooted in. In God's mercy and grace, it is a sign of God's favor on your life. Think about it. Out of all the people in the orphanage of this world, God chose you, and He adopted you. And He's given you the responsibility and the honor of representing Him in this world. That's your identity. And that gives us meaning and motivation to serve our king. What a grand identity. What a great identity. What a good identity. Do you ever feel like David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 and following? When Nathan the prophet came and told him that his throne would endure to all generations. You have to see this. If you haven't looked at this for a while or you've never seen it, You need to see this. You need to see what David's response was to God when God poured out his mercy, his grace, and his favor to undeserving David. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's go. Come with me. Take those Bibles. Turn those pages. Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 and following. the story goes that David wanted to build a temple for God and God, God sent Nathan the prophet to David with this message verse 8 now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David thus says Yahweh of hosts I took you from the pasture from following the sheep listen now, God starts that out you're just a little shepherd remember that David But I took you, I I knew, I had my eye on you, David. Even in those days when you were nobody. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep that you should be my prince over my people Israel. I took you from the stable to the very top of the kingdom. Wow, thank you, Lord. And I have been with you wherever you went And have cut off all your enemies from before you. He goes on. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them. So that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly Now, that sounds like a a great future that God has planned for David and his future generations. Look at David's response. Then King David went in and he sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Who am I? God, who am I? How could you do this for me? I'm just a sinner, God, you know me. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoke also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this instruction, and this is instruction for mankind, O Lord, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel, and like your people, Central Baptist Church, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its God. God's and you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever and your Lord became their God and he goes on that prayer of thanksgiving from David if God hits you square in the heart with the significance And even the costliness of your identity today, you're you're going to respond just like David did. When he went in and just sat brokenhearted before God, he's like, oh God, you are very great. How could you do this all for me? I am the least deserving of these things, God. You've done these things because you are great, not because I'm great, but because you are. Lord, I see your purpose for my life. I see why you created me, and I am filled with a sense of meaning and calling and I would gladly serve you because you have been so infinitely kind to me what an honor what an honor brothers and sisters our time is our time is wrapping up here so we're going to leave part two of this sermon for next week but I want to ask you before we we wrap up today have you received this honor Are you a child of God? Have you been called out of darkness into his marvelous light? Remember what Peter said there? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. You have been called to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, his marvelous light. Does that describe you? Was there a turning point in your life when you repented? When you saw yourself for the wretched sinner that you are, when you stopped making excuses, when you stopped blaming other people for your sin and owned it before a holy God, bowed your knees at the foot of the cross and repented and turned away from your sin. He said, I don't want this in my life ever again. I want to follow you for the rest of the days of my life. Has that happened for you? Do you have a clear testimony? Or is it fuzzy? Is it confusing to you and to others? Are you confident about your salvation? If you die today, where are you going to spend eternity? The way of salvation is open to you. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father Father except through me. But today, you can be reconciled to your heavenly Father through Jesus. Just like Ellie talked about when her life was radically changed. That can happen for you today. If it hasn't already. And if it has happened for you already, man, thank God, praise God. That's amazing. That's wonderful. And I pray that this reminder about your identity has uh, just inspired a passion in you. And it has uh, just reignited just this passion, this, this meaning, and this motivation for living out your identity. So next week, we'll talk about what is the expectation for us as believers. As royal priests, what does God expect us to do? And if we have time, we'll uh, we'll look at what does that look like practically in our lives, okay? So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day and this time together. God, who are we? Right now, God, as a church, Like David, we want to to go and just sit in the dust on the ground humbly before you. Like David did with just a broken heart in awe of how good you were to him. You took him from being a shepherd and you made him the prince of your people. God, you have taken us From being covered in sin, lost in the darkness, lonely, lost, depressed, sinful people. God, you have taken us from the depths of our depravity and you have raised us up to be seated in the heavenlies with Christ. There's no better place to be. There's no higher calling to be the people of God, to be called into the priesthood. And God, you have given us that honor. God, teach us what that means. Fill us with meaning and purpose in our lives. Fill us with the motivation to go out and serve you and proclaim your excellencies to others. God, open our eyes um, all over again once <laughs> in a new and a fresh way, God, to to see the high calling that we have. And in the weeks to come, Lord, show us how that specifically works itself out in each of our lives. We're not all called to be pastors or Sunday school teachers. Some of us are called to disciple people in other ways, but we're all called into the priesthood of believers. So as the weeks come, Lord, please show us more about our individual callings as well. All this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask Jordan to come up and close this.